You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Wilkin and JT English. How's that, guys? <laughs> well, I'm JT, sorry, my, my, my AirPods weren't working <laughs> no there. Can you say that right again? <laughs> This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. No, please. Uh, no, you guys, hey, JT gave me grief for how basic this is uh, a couple episodes back, and I just figured, you know, I would try to start That felt like a let's get a ready bit. to rumble introduction. That was good. That's what I was trying to do. Yeah, that's what I was going for. But you don't, JT, you can't complain about it being a boring introduction if you don't give him any energy on it when he starts into it. On Hold on. No, 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 no. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying when you don't give me energy in an introduction, I can't give energy back in a response to an introduction. Okay. Hey, hey, just know, I see uh, you and I hear okay. you. All these intros, they're going to be just like that one for the rest of the season. I can't wait. Uh, but for the rest of the season, I also want to be talking about this cool thing. <laughs> Sorry, I I am eating too many of these high chews right now. Uh, Crossway Crossway is doing something really cool. They're excited to invite churches and small group leaders in the U.S. to request 52 free copies of Jen Wilkins' book, Women of the Word, While Supplies Last. Ministry leaders are invited to apply for free copies of the book for their church with the intention of helping women in their congregation read and discuss the book together. To request 52 free copies of Women of the Word for your church, simply fill out the application form linked in the show notes, or you can visit crossway.org slash women of the word. 52 free copies, one for every week of the year or for 52 women in the life of your church. So go check that out over at crossway.org slash women of the word. Today, we are talking about something that we have talked about before. Many times we have talked about this. We know Mm -hmm. that you know Mm -hmm. that we have talked about this many times. So why are we talking about brothers and sisters again? Well, because people still don't get it. There we go. That's the best answer. It's true. That's right. We've, uh, we have, uh, we have, we have looked at this from many different angles and we're coming back to it today. As you know, this season, we're taking a look back on what we've been about as a podcast, as a partner, more importantly, as a partnership, Mm -hmm. uh, which we'll talk about here. Um, and we're breaking away from exploring the doctrine of salvation in, in order to explore some of our history uh, as a team, as a partnership, as friends, as brothers and sister in Christ. We're looking at, right from the beginning, one of the goals of knowing faith, like by design, was to try to give a just a snapshot to a broader audience of what we felt like our friendship and partnership had become and was becoming. And so, indisputably, in the history of 10 seasons of Knowing Faith, this is something that we get more feedback on than just about anything else. Why do you think that is, JT? Why do you think this is something that we just, it doesn't matter what our season topic is on, it doesn't matter what issues we're covering, this is the most consistent in-person, anecdotal, surveys, social media comment that we end up getting. I think there's a couple of reasons for it. The first, we've already hit a little bit. This has been a topic for evangelicalism for the last few years. Like, mm-hmm. it's just been something that 
wherever you land on it, it's kind of an unavoidable topic. And often that's how theology is done, whether it was the early church dealing with Christology or Trinitarianism or the Reformation dealing with justification by faith. Often topics come to the church. It's not just the church doing theology. And one of the topics that's come to the church, I think, in kind of our current moment right now is the topic of brothers and sisters in ministry in the life of the local church together. There's been a lot of heat, but I also think there's been some light and there's been some good and fruitful conversations related to these conver- uh, related to this topic. But I think the reason that, that, I mean, this is just God's providence. We all care about this topic. We were at a church that cared about this topic. I think we speak well to this topic, but maybe more than anything else, the reason we keep coming back to this is because we enjoy that God has allowed us to embody this. It's not that mm-hmm. we want to go write another white paper about this. It's not that mm-hmm. we have like a doctrinal statement that we want everybody to believe, but like we are brothers and sisters. Like in the deepest use of those words, I would say Jen Wilkin is my sister, Kyle mm-hmm. Worley is my brother, and I benefit from them. Mm-hmm. I'm in the same family as them. They're different than me, and I learn from them. And I'm, I know how to follow Jesus in, in deeper ways because of my relationship with you guys. And I think the reason a lot of people have commented about that is local churches aren't embodying this well. I mean, mm-hmm. I think one of the most common pieces of feedback we get is either men or it's often women saying, I didn't know. I didn't know that I could be invited into these conversations. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I could participate with my brothers in thinking theologically or doctrinally or biblically. I thought I was supposed to do that with the sisters. Mm -hmm. So I think the topic keeps coming up for us because we just enjoy, like we're just, we're not only friends, we have kind of embraced that we're brothers and sisters uh, for all of our pros and cons. Like we're in a family and we care about each other. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Jen, do you have anything, like you've been out there at the tip of the spear for women's ministry and women's Bible study for a long time. And this has been like the evolution of this conversation. It's not been like, it's not been a concept for uh, most women in the church. Mm -hmm. This has Mm -hmm. not been an abstraction. Mm -hmm. It has real life import and implication. And because of the audiences and the kind of churches that we've come from, churches that we deeply appreciate, um, convictions that that we deeply treasure, we can sometimes the three of us can find ourselves in situations where people are kind of looking in going like, wait, what's that? What are you, what's that (laughs) really about? You know what I'm saying? Right. And you've been, you've been, you've been on the circuit, so to speak. So I'm just curious, like, (laughs) is there anything different from your angle than what JT said? Or do you think that's basically it? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that that's it. It's, I was trying to retrace my steps a little and figure out how I even ended up in the conversation um, Kyle I mean, wrote a bad paper. Well, I know how I ended up in and the then conversation. I wrote a good paper. <laughs> this is, this is, this I know is all that part. History. But like me, Mia 15 years ago was not really thinking, gosh, it's hard to be a woman in the church. I was just like, well, right. oh, you know, this is just kind of how things are. Uh, I don't think I had any any idea that things might be able to change. And what I was really keenly aware of was the, you know, the reason the Bible literacy thing sort of came to the front for me was because in all women's spaces, there was such a pronounced lack of theologically rich content uh, or even biblically structured content, I guess, for lack of a better word. It was all feelings level and it was all empathizing and sharing your story. And even the women who were on platforms, they were they were pretty much entirely, or 
not entirely, but I would say largely story-driven in the way that they communicated any greater point they had about scripture or theology. And there's nothing wrong with using story, but you shouldn't have to feel like if you don't use story as your primary vehicle, no one is going to listen to you. And that's how these circles felt. And I really think it was a symptom of just how um, how great, how wide the divide had grown between um, male male spaces and female spaces, at least in the places yeah. where I was. At that point, I was um, actually living in, in Houston. And so I do think what JT is describing, like the fact that the three of us have these conversations, but the fact that now the idea that conversations like this would happen between men and women feels normal to us. Um, I didn't see that coming. But not only that, I think the fact that we have discovered these mixed gender spaces are such a beautiful Mm -hmm. and thriving space has meant that the single gender spaces, not that they went away or that they didn't matter, but but they have been able to grow in richness as they become informed by what was happening sort of on the other side of the fence. So here's, Here's my shot in the dark at how I think this is happening. JT and I were just talking before we got uh, on here to record about how men's Bible study has really taken hold at his church. And and we've seen the same thing at my church as well. Um, Men coming to Bible study in numbers that just I I have not seen before in my experience of the church that that was typically a a female space. And, um, And what we have found at my church is that the men are happy to gather and have a thought level discussion. Uh, but that all all male space has actually enabled them to be pressed toward having a a more uh, emotional or personal response to what they're doing than they might have otherwise had. And then for women, sort of the opposite effect has happened. They have been drawn um, toward a thinking conversation, not at the exclusion of a feeling conversation or a story-driven one, but to the point that they see Bible study as a learning environment first and a connection point second. And so it's just interesting to me that these single gender spaces have become richer because we have an understanding of men and women in dialogue together. At least that's the way I, I would say I think I'm seeing it play out. Yeah, and I, and I would say that I would agree with both of those things. I, I do think that one of the the opportunities that it's presented itself is that as the culture has increasingly gone from siloing men and women, like yeah. basically treating men and women as like so categorically different. And like, dangerous rem- to each other. And, da- and dangerous to each other too. Like absolving- could you imagine in this cultural moment writing men are from Mars and women are from Venus? It, yeah. That's exact, that, JT, that's, that's the point. exact book title I was thinking. Mm-hmm. There was a moment that was that lasted for a while in that last part of the 20th century where it was like let let us make sure that we are absolutely clear that men and women are categorically different from one another and in my lifetime which 34 years uh it's gone from there's a categorical difference between men and women we couldn't possibly understand one another to men and women don't exist Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, well, until you decide, until you decide right. what you want to exist. Right. The they don't exist as, they, they don't exist as reality, like fixed realities. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you, when you think about it like that, there's no way that the church in America could not have been seriously and significantly engaged in conversation around what is a man, what is a woman, mm-hmm. how do men and women in Christ relate to one another? Like it was in some ways, it has been an unavoidable conversation, and that has created some opportunities for real growth and light, and it's created a lot a lot more opportunities for heat and 
not light, shadow, whatever the opposite of that is. Yeah, well, I think, you know, what we've seen happen is as the culture has moved from one pole to the other, the church's response has been, oh, we got to move back to that other pole. Like uh, Mm -hmm. they've doubled down on men are from Mars, women are from Venus, when in fact that was not actually ever a biblical concept for for men and women, right? I mean, as we've talked about, you know, multiple times on the podcast that what if we've done something wrong in our response, and I believe the, the, the reason it's happened is because the motive was fear, Um, Mm -hmm. if we've done something wrong, it's been that we clung to an extreme instead of saying, wait a minute, actually the Bible says men and women are fundamentally same, but different in significant ways. Yes. But I I think for a lot of people, it was like, well, if we don't say things just, you know, completely um, hyperbolically, then all of these sheep will be too dim-witted to to follow the messaging. So better to shout something about complete differences than to just sort of like give a moderate view. And I wouldn't even say it's a moderate view, but it's a... No, no, absolutely not. I would, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't call it moderate or centrist. Like, as, the more I've thought about this, uh, there's three. Th- I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I would say that uh, the biblical doctrine of anthropology related to men and women must affirm these three things, at least. Perhaps we could affirm more. Number one, and Jen just alluded to this, we are the same. That's the first instinct of the scriptures is that mm. all people, and this, is, this isn't just a gender conversation, this is socioeconomic status, right. intellectual ability. Uh, racial and ethnic background, that there is no such thing as qualified dignity, mm-hmm. that we all mm-hmm. are dignified as image bearers, made in the image of the triune God, male, female, Jew, Greek, Gentile, uh, everything. So first is, we are fundamentally the same. Second is, we're fundamentally different as men and women, that there is a fundamental distinction. God created them male and female, mm-hmm. and that that distinction is an essential biblical category. Mm-hmm. And third is, we need each other, mm-hmm. that 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 those two, those first two truths were the same and were different leads to the third point is we need to be in dialogue with each other as brothers and sisters in the church, as men and women in society, perhaps as husbands and wives, brothers and sisters. And I would say those three things and like the nexus point of those three things is what we've tried to learn about of sameness, distinction, and need of each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you guys add to that? Uh, just simple friendship. I think is the mm, totally. the, the piece yeah. that I think has gone to the wayside. The fact that yeah. when we read the New Testament, one another's we have we have assumed that they were supposed to happen in pink spaces and blue spaces, but never, never together. Mm. And um, that's so good. And you know, it's it, it just even if you look at you know, Rebecca McLaughlin has written a book on uh, Jesus through the eyes of women, which I think is really helpful to this end because you just can't look at the way that Jesus interacted with women and make the argument that men are from Mars, women are. From from Venus or that right. we shouldn't be around each other or bad things will happen. But just the simple joy of friendship, which I hope is something that our listeners pick up on when when they're listening to, to us interact, because it's not fake, right? Just the sure. enjoyment of, of those, those male-female friendships in ways that are are above reproach. Like the the number of ways that we can have genuine friendship with one another um, that are not a threat to our marriages or to our ministry platforms. It's just that we have not even given ourselves permission to think about how that might work because it's felt untouchable and terrifying and, you know, a thousand scary stories of people who failed. 
Right. And I think that we, I think that the lie on that note, because that was the one thing that I was going to add to JT as well, was we need each other, not just for partnership, but we need each other for fellowship. For fellowship, so like, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, because I do think when we, like, people can be very comfortable with saying, yes, uh, men and women do need one another. They need one another for procreation. Right. Like, and, right. But the, which is like, I would that make, is, just to be clear, I would make it as broad as you, I for, agree. For sure. No, I, no yeah. agreed. And yeah. I know that's where, I know that's where you're at because we do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just want to know that for the listener, because I do think a lot of people in Christian churches, regardless of where they land on this, are like, yeah, we need each other and we need each other for like, you know, fulfilling the great uh, the cultural mandate and, and marriage. And those are and, true. Like that's real. Those are all true. But We're not discounting that to it. There's more to it. There's absolutely more to it. And fellowship is a big part of that. You know, I think one of the things that you discover if, if you, again, and I want to say this, this is presuming that we're talking about holy men and women and dwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit fixed on the righteousness of Christ. So mm-hmm. just, okay, big caveat here. <laughs> I think there's a, I think there is sometimes an assumption that if you move towards that fellowship side of of the of the of the relationship not just the partnership side but the fellowship side i think that there's an assumption that as you come to a greater understanding appreciation and relationship with a brother or sister of the opposite gender right then you that oh no that is going to be the first step onto a slippery slope mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all the way down and i'm not saying that you know I'm not saying that there are not situations where things develop. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that I think that oftentimes the opposite happens. Mm -hmm. When we come to a greater appreciation of somebody who is an image bearer, when we really begin to embrace the familial identity that is the key operative concept for how men and women, now when we begin to see this this person is my sister, this person is my brother— I think that that category begins to not just become the foundation for this meaningful fellowship and partnership. It also begins to function as the appropriate guardrails for the nature of that relationship. Uh, And I think it's very significant for that to, uh, uh, like I routinely speak about the men and women at my church and brother and sister categories Mm -hmm. because that is what they are. Mm -hmm. And it takes some getting used to. Uh, the first three or four years at Mosaic, I think people thought it was a weird little small town Texas pastor quirk that I had brought with me from nowhere southeast Texas. But for me, every time I speak to a brother or sister in Christ and I name them as such, it is a reminder to me yes. and to them that the primary context of our relationship is not pastor member. The primary context of our relationship is not member to member. The primary context of our relationship isn't friends or partners. The primary context of our relationship, if the doctrine of union with Christ is true, we'll be covering that on our next episode and spoiler, it is. Uh, But the primary context of our relationship is brother and sister in Christ. We are co-heirs together. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I don't think that I believe and I know Mm-hmm. that that way of relating to one another is not just healthy and that it's congruent with the biblical witness. It's not just permissible in a spirit of freedom. It's beneficial to the life of any man or woman in Christ who is seeking to relate to the other. Yeah. Well, I think we should say it's indispensable, right? I, I right. think when we talk about, yeah, 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 we need each other. It's kind of like, I mean, I need lots of things and this is another thing I need. And what we're right. saying is something bigger than that. We're saying this is what we were designed for. 
and that the world doesn't function or that God's kingdom does not function as it was designed to when we when we overlook this or diminish it in value. Mm-hmm. And then I think too, one of the ways that I'm I'm learning that people hear this and don't connect with it is because when they hear brothers and sisters, they think about their own human relationships with with literal literal brothers and sisters. So JT, we'll take you off the table here since you, you didn't grow up with siblings. Maybe this is not your experience. But I will point to this because this this conversation matters for me in a in a different way. Yeah, yeah in a different way. Child. Yeah. So but what I'm realizing is because we were wanting to talk about brother sisterly one another um, conversations with with our late elementary students. Um, they go away for a weekend where they talk about identity and sexuality with their parents. Their parents come along with them. And so we introduced this idea of like, hey, what we're not saying is that as you understand your sexuality as you head into puberty, that you're supposed to divide in these two camps that don't talk to each other anymore, that, you know, right. we're brothers and sisters. And so then we, but, but what they need to hear is think about your happiest memory of a sibling. What was the best day you had with a brother if you're a sister? Or what's the best day you had with a sister if you're a brother? And that, that's what we're talking about. Not the day you had rivalry or the day you had competition or the day you tolerated each other on a car trip, but the day where you were like, man, I just think this person is great and I'm for them and they're for me. And so um, I think that some of our limitations in the brother-sister conversation are just related to our lived experiences of literal brothers and sisters, or they're tied to um, well, that can't possibly work because I know this at this one church where this man and this woman did this thing and then they had to stand up in front of the congregation, that kind of a thing. That's right. In the same way we talk about the fatherhood of God, like I, I, I'm going to over-torque yes. an analogy here that isn't entirely yeah, yeah. true, but it's apple and orange. We don't we don't view the fatherhood of God through our earthly fathers. We view our earthly fathers through the fatherhood through of the God. the fatherhood of God, that's good. Now, this is different. Next step. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's different, but like we should view our earthly siblingships through our heavenly ones in some mm-hmm. sense. Now, none of us are divine. That's what I'm saying. These things are fundamentally yeah. different. But at the same time, like, we would want to view our yeah. earthly siblings through the lens of this person who knows Jesus and this person who knows Jesus, who's inviting mm-hmm. me to know Jesus more, who's full of the Holy Spirit. And so we, yeah, I think the lens matters that we would act. And Jesus speaks as much to this. Like, who are my brothers and sisters? Who's my mother and father? Mm-hmm. Like, these are my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a slightly different perspective, obviously. We've joked about this before, but it's also something that's, it's not deeply painful. Like, I've never experienced being an only child in ways like, man, I need to go talk to a counselor about this. But I have experienced loneliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's just a sense of like, man, who, who's with me? Who's for me? Who's going to come alongside me? Who has my back? I know my parents have my back. My wife has my back. My kid, like, But at the same time, who, like, who can I look side to side to that has my back? And I just want to affirm both of you, and I could I could name others here, of like, part of the gospel for me hasn't just been, I get to go to heaven when I die, mm-hmm. and I get to experience eternal life with Jesus. But God's given me a new family, mm-hmm. uh, and, and God has invited my earthly family into this as well. But like, I'm going to get weepy-eyed talking about it. Like, Kyle, you're my brother, mm-hmm. like my genuine brother. Jen, you're my sister in a way that like I can't call somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I don't have a sister that I get to call. I call Jen. I don't, I don't have a brother I call. I call Kyle. And like, I actually do that with the two of you. We're on a text thread called hashtag friends. Maybe we should call it hashtag brothers and sisters. <laughs> uh, but, but like, it's real. Like it's, yeah. it's a very real yeah. reality that Jesus has That's made right. known to me and my soul 
of a relationship that I didn't that I didn't have in an earthly sense, but I get to have in an ecclesial sense and in a very That's real right. way. I want to go back to something we talked about about 10 minutes ago that we've mentioned on this podcast before, but I, I just think it's important because we often talk about the threats and liabilities of male and female relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's also important for us to realize there are threats and liabilities not just in male-female relationships, but in relationships. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, period. And that is true in male-female relationships. And so if you need to put things in place that help you mitigate some of those threats and liabilities, that's true. But that's true in all relationships, mm-hmm. not just between men and women. It's also true between men and men and between women and women. Mm-hmm. And Jen helped me once. I forget how you said it, Jen, but you just talked about how t- uh, trust moves mm-hmm. at the speed of time, I think, mm-hmm. or something like that. And like... We we have now had almost a decade worth of yeah. friendship, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Where I would say, like, I trust you guys implicitly, mm-hmm. but that did that wasn't day one for us either. No. no. Day no. one, year one, year two. It's like we were growing in trust. And we've also had moments where we didn't trust each other, where there yeah. was like, hey, wait a second, Loss I thought you said, or, yeah. or mm-hmm. how are we gonna I thought we said, and like, but that's that is what has made this so much deeper for me mm-hmm. is like we've gone through high highs, low lows, and we haven't left each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what siblinghood in a spiritual sense, I think, is supposed to mean. Well, I would add to that too. So we've said that there people recognize that there are risks and liabilities in in cross-gender friendships. They fail to recognize that there are risks and liabilities in all relationships. But there's another Mm -hmm. thing. They fail to recognize that there are risks and liabilities in not having cross-gender relationships, right? right? right. So in other words, we only consider what might happen if someone doesn't have good boundaries in a relationship. We don't consider the very real harm that the church suffers, the family of God suffers when we avoid each other. Or when we um, say you're you're a risk category instead of a person who I am called to love as a sibling. And there are very real risks and liabilities associated with that. You know, those are some of the stories, honestly, that brought about um, my own church's soul searching around this because um, we Mm -hmm. understood the very real liability of only having male uh, voices in rooms and, and how that could play out in ways that were intensely harmful. You know, and, and also I would say vice versa. It, you really don't want a, you don't want a ton of rooms that are just all women. There are reasons to have those rooms and there are reasons to have mixed spaces and the church is healthier. Uh, when we are in community with each other in the truest sense of the word, when we are all in community with one another. You're right. Ch- church, the, uh, everything you said, I affirm churches are healthier, but a lot of the people who are listening, maybe they're not in, like in leadership at a church. Like, I don't care who's in what rooms. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for them to say like, I am healthier Yeah, because it's just as an individual person, I know interpersonal relationships because of what Jesus yeah. has done and because of what he's done in our lives in the spirit, I now have friendships, partnerships, siblinghood with people. And it, it, it certainly is the two of you, but there's more than that. Like I have, I think about, I know one of the things we're going to talk about, um, uh, at least one of the questions Kyle asked was, how has this changed us, changed our ministries? Mm-hmm. I got to come into a new church knowing this needs to be a priority for me. Kyle got to plant Mosaic knowing this needs to be a priority for me. Mm-hmm. And there are women on our staff and women in our church that are like our sisters. Like I would mm-hmm. say, I need this person. Uh, or or a relationship like this in order to thrive and flourish. So she's probably going to get mad at me for saying this, but there's a woman at our, at my church named Lindsay who's just an indispensable ally to me. She mm-hmm. teaches our women's Bible study. She leads it at an executive level. She's doing her demon and executive level leadership. Like 
there's almost not a room I'm in that she's not helping me think about, speak to. And like this, this has transcended just the three of us. It's mm-hmm. now become a theological paradigm that I think through when I'm entering new spaces, whether it's Kyle planting a church or now me leading storyline. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at Courage for Life Bible That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. That's right. And I do think that um, the listener might be just kind of scratching their head. They're going, okay, brother, sister. um, Okay, I'm bought in on men and women taking each other seriously with honor and integrity and affection. Um, But like, what? where are you actually getting this from? Like scripturally and biblically? Like, okay, so. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know we were going to have to do this. So the <laughs> Bible is important? <laughs> yeah, because mm. purportedly, uh, purportedly uh, the scriptures are the controlling authority yeah. for our views on anything. So on this one, we've, we've grappled with this, but when you think about brother, sister, and the Bible, why are we using those words and not two other words? Why are we intentionally choosing to use family-oriented language for this conversation? Well, I would say it's that's the paradigm that Jesus sets up for us. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think if you think about it, it makes sense. Like he, when he says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters in the gospel, right. he says it's in Matthew and in Mark, I think is where that, that story occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he, when he introduces that idea, it's, it's not really a, a new idea because, um, you know, the Israelites would have understood each other in a broad sense to all be family. That's why they have all mm-hmm. these discussions with Jesus about, well, who then is my neighbor, right? Because they have right. an understanding of this collective familial tie that they have. And I think you trace it all the way back to the way that the Bible story opens. It opens with a story about a family, a family that ends up being very messed up in short order. And so when Jesus articulates a view of um, those who do the will of the Father as family, in many ways, or maybe in every way, he is redeeming what was lost in Eden um, when the original, when the first family does not do the will of the Father. And the result is not that they love one another, but that they turn and devour one another. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, two two words I would point our listeners to, biblical words. The first is Adelphoi, and that's the term that is most often used to refer to both brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Paul uses this at, usually at the beginning of his epistles to talk about the the saints in Ephesus or mm-hmm. in Corinth. He calls us brothers and sisters, and that is meant to be kind of a gender-neutral term. It, it technically means brothers, and that's often, unfortunately, mistranslated only as brothers, but it's meant to be the family of God, those who are listening to my words, the, the family, the brothers and sisters. But then there's another word that is used often in the one another's. It, it's where we get the city of brotherly and sisterly love, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the conjunction of a kind of love with Adelphoi, Phila, with with brothers and sisters. So in it, it's a New Testament term that's unique. This is something that was unique for the early church of a kind of love that is meant to exist only among family, but now exists not among family that is uh, related biologically, but is related spiritually through the blood of Christ. And this mm-hmm. is a brand new concept. This terminology had never been used before. When we think about interacting with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and other forms of wise living and human flourishing and love and what it means to be a virtuous person, when Jesus comes on the scene, proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, dies, resurrects, ascends into heaven, the church begins to embody this brand new kind of love that is now no longer reserved for the Israelites in some of eth- in some kind of ethnic sense, but is now meant to pervade all people groups, all peoples, all socioeconomic classes, ethnicities, and, uh, and, and races, and, and men and women to say, like, there's a new family here. And it's a family that's meant to be most primarily defined by love which is a yeah. brand new concept, a familial type love. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. A family love that generates, uh, that God gives us in Christ Jesus, who is the head of this family. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ is the head of the body of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are um, co-heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters together because we are in him. Now, I do want to just make a note here. We're using this category in congruence with what the Bible says about Christians. Men and women in the public space, Christians interacting with non-Christian men and women, uh, uh, should treat each other honorably with respect because the other person, the other, is an image bearer of God. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is something that is unique to the Christian relationship. So in using the categories of brother and sister, the the constraints of that category is that that relationship primary, uh, fundamentally and solely belongs uh, in the life of the church to Christian men and women. That, like, I have non-Christian neighbors who I love and mm-hmm. respect and mm-hmm. honor of both genders, people that I engage with and that I treat honorably and respectfully and try to uh, measure my life in a way that is hospitable and virtuous towards them. Mm-hmm. And that's good because they're image bearers of God and God has called me to virtuous living. But my relationship with those people, even if I really, really enjoy them, even if we like a lot of the same stuff, uh, is not a brotherly sisterly relationship because they are neither brother or sister by blood or by adoption or by new birth in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so there are some limits uh, when we think about how to move forward honorably. There are some limits on this language. We're not giving a prescription to the world. We're giving a picture to the world of what is possible Mm -hmm. for those in Christ Jesus Mm -hmm. and that this is something that God has invited us into. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this a little bit already, but like, how has this changed us? How has it changed our ministries? I'm going to ask the question, give you a moment to think while I tell a story. (laughs) Um, How has it changed us? I can remember that there was a conversation that I had with Jen 
This is many years ago now. I was preparing to teach through something uh, for the training program mm-hmm. at the time. And I came to Jen and I was asking her some questions about gender um, because I was going to be teaching on this topic. And uh, she goes, Kyle, uh, what is Adam's song over Eve primarily about sameness or about difference? And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, because, you know, uh, God presents Eve to Adam. And you're telling me that the primary thing that's at play in Genesis 1 is difference, right? And I was like, yeah, that's right, because she's different from him. And she goes, let's go read Genesis 1 and 2 together. So we literally went, we read it, and she was like, so God tells Adam to go look for a partner, and he searches the world, and there's not a partner fit for him. Why? Is it because there's a lot of things out there that are like Adam or different than Adam? I was like, (laughs) they're different from Adam. And she was like, yes. So God creates out of Adam another person who is distinct from Adam. But is that really what's celebrated at that part of the story? And I was like, no. And then she's like, yeah, look at what Adam actually says in his song. And it's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, you know, like it's a song that celebrates you are like me, not a song that celebrates you are different from me. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, oh man, I would have answered that question wrong 99 times out of a hundred. Nobody had ever, ever in, I at that time probably had over 140 graduate hours of seminary education. I had, a, I had an undergraduate degree in Bible and philosophy. I had read Genesis many times, but my eyes were trained for difference Mm -hmm. and otherness. Mm -hmm. That's what my eyes were trained for. And from that conversation, we began to talk about brother-sisterly relationships. And I got to be honest with you, until I really started thinking through this, nobody, and I grew up in the church, I grew up in a great church, a great church that I loved and that I have nothing but good stories of, and a church that treats men and women honorably. And I'm very proud of that mm-hmm. lineage and that history in my own life. I'm grateful for it. Nobody had ever talked to me about women in the church being sisters in Christ. Never. Mm-hmm. Not a single word. And it was a core level change for me. Like in a short season of life, I went from okay, this is kind of like, yeah, it's a necessary partnership, but man, it's really tricky. And it should be like, put a put big yellow tape around it, this danger caution, beware. Mm-hmm. Two, I think I have to start thinking about men and women, not just women, but men and women in the church differently mm-hmm. than I ever have. Mm-hmm. And it, it did change me. It changed me significantly. It was the beginning of probably where we really started to forge a partnership that you guys were already embarking on. And it changed the way I thought about ministry moving forward mm-hmm. and what a healthy ministry could look like and should look like. So it, yeah, it left an indelible imprint on my life. Well, I think when I started in the church, um, brother was a term I heard a lot 
because if you were a man in leadership, you were brother so-and-so, you were brother Jimmy or brother whoever, and the ministers or the pastors on staff would sign their emails that way. You know, you would have been uh, brother Kyle and brother JT. So I came from a biological family setting where brother meant something to me. It meant Mm. a person who's rooting for you and who you had a lot of fun with and who knows you, like really knows you, you know? Uh, And then I find this term being used in the church for someone who doesn't know me, um, to whom I'm a liability if I am known. And it was so just disjointed for me. It didn't make sense to me. Why why is this person's title brother when nothing about this person feels brotherly toward me at all? Mm. Uh, nor toward the women who I was, you know, ministering among and to. That was the other thing that just I, I couldn't reconcile was um, your brother so-and-so, but, you know, when I bring you the needs of the women who are in the Sunday school class, you don't you don't hear them with a heart of empathy. Mm-hmm. And what is that? And I don't I don't want to care. I please don't hear me broad brush stroke all men or all men in ministry as fitting this um, demographic. I, I don't think that that's true. Um, but that was uh, I have a I have a few moments in my in my recollections where it was just so um, so clear to me that this person whose title was brother was not a brotherly person. And so to have gone from that, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s, all the way to where, yeah, I look at the two of you, and honestly, it's not just the two of you. I, I have I have other um, ministry friends who I think of as as brothers. Yeah, you, you two are probably the closest, you know, but but because, and that was another thing I was thinking when, when Kyle was talking earlier, it's like, because I know well, what I'm saying, because I know it's possible, like with you guys, and, and there were a couple of guys I had really good friendships with um, in, in a previous church too. So I knew it was possible and I knew it wasn't just possible. I knew it was desirable. Well, once you know right. it's possible, then you're like, yeah, and I, I want that. Like, I don't, I don't want to set that aside. And so then mm-hmm. you begin to, um, to be, to be looking around and thinking, well, who, who is trustworthy? Who, who can I have this trusting relationship with? Um, and so to, to have gone from where it was just a title that didn't really connect to a, a demeanor to, to somewhere where it's, it's not a title you guys call each other, mm. but it is every, everywhere it is your demeanor feels really great. I mean, it's just, uh, and, and to know that it's not just the two of us, it's something right. that's possible. Uh, the three of us, sorry, not the two of us. Yes. Where the, where, there's a little three amigos gif that you guys always like to yeah, send. Yeah, that's exactly right. Also, I don't know if this happens to you, but ever since the like a couple of updates back on the phone, anytime I text the word friends, it substitutes hashtag friends because it's the name of our thread. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mine does that too. That's awesome. I would affirm everything that you that you guys just shared there. I think coming to faith mm-hmm. uh, in a different way than you guys did, um, you know, as a college student, yeah, brother and sister Liss. And I started kind of becoming more familiar with evangelicalism and like the brother-sister <laughs> language was super weird to me because <laughs> like not only did I not have them, now the people that are using that term is weird. Uh, like mm-hmm. I needed that term to be redeemed in a sense. And it really has been, I think, in some ways where like now I, I don't know how to not use it in, in the way that I mean it. I think I would affirm everything Kyle said of like I'm naming something that's true, which is an ontological reality mm-hmm. that Jesus yeah, has right. gifted us. Because of the gospel and by his spirit. And that and that will be true forever. Like mm-hmm. we get to be brothers and sisters mm-hmm. forever. 
which is amazing. Well, kind of terrifying uh, <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> but I think, you know, the thing, this is, I, I need to find, I need to find a better way to say this. As you guys know, on the podcast, you know, sometimes we're kind of working through issues. This isn't like, I don't have a script for this. Uh, I don't have something written down that I'm reading. But something that the Lord's just done in my life is like, he's just allowed me to be around people who who kind of share that story. Maybe they're not married yet, uh, both men and women, and they feel a sense of isolation because they feel like mm-hmm. they're not the same in the life of the local church. Evangelicalism has largely followed the cultural narrative yeah. of hypersexualization, whether that's here's mm-hmm. how to date, here's how to get married, here's how to do this. And one of the things that I think the Lord... Uh, has helped me understand a little bit. And part of this is because mm-hmm. of my marriage. Like I have a wonderful marriage. Macy's my best friend on the planet. Like just contextually in an embodied sense, he's allowed me to be really great friends with single guys and single mm-hmm. girls who aren't going to get married either. Like <laughs> I've, I've tried to play matchmaker a few times, but you begin to realize, no, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. They they just mm-hmm. need brothers and sisters in this season. And there's three or four who came up from, from our previous church storyline. There's more who have joined and he's just kind of a like my ministry. It, this sounds strange, but a part of my ministry has been ministering to people mm-hmm. who feel like they mm-hmm. don't have brothers and sisters. And now in the life of the church, we get to say no. It, like one of our values at Storyline is community. The local church is a family of brothers and sisters who love one another as we care, give, and serve. And I, I just like that's just one of those things that like hasn't been a part of my life. It hasn't been a part of a lot of the churches I've been a part of. But I wouldn't know how to do ministry, like looking forward, without f- deep familial friendship and siblinghood mm-hmm. being a part of what God's called me to do. Well, hey, Kyle, I had, can I just pause you yeah. here before we go deep? Do you know Jen just said probably? I know, but I'm just going to move. <laughs> like she was like, "I'm probably <laughs> no, friends with you guys." That's basically said. what she said. Yeah. Oh my! She gosh. was like, "I mean, we're probably friends." It's like I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I gotta say, I'm I'm hesitant. <laughs> it feels like that's wow. the right moment for us to land on. I'm hesitant to move. I don't often do meta commentary <laughs> on where our run sheet was going uh, on the podcast, but it feels like that was the right place. Let me maybe do, let me do this. Let's do this. One of the questions I had here is, are we bashful about this topic? But it's kind of like now you Pro- know we're probably. Not. <laughs> now you know we're not. We just did 45 minutes for like the 15th time. On this topic. So the answer is no, we're no. not bashful about this topic. Why? 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 Like, we, we've we caught some, each one of us have caught a little what are you talking bit about? of heat. Oh, man. On, on this. Uh, and I don't see that mm-hmm. going anywhere for a while. Um, because while we have learned for it to be normal for us, it does still feel like when we, anytime I know, like I know when this episode comes out, like I know what kind of DMs I'm going to have. I just know it. Like I know what some people are going to say in the comments. I know the kind of examples and storytelling that are going to show up. I know the kind of people that are going to retweet this and say, (laughs) ha, 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 you know, (laughs) this is close to Satanism or something crazy, you know, and I just know that's what happens. So we're not bashful about it. We've got a lot to talk about. We have a lot of things we do that, that are just us practicing this for another purpose. Why is getting this right so crucial? For Christians, 
for churches? Why is this got to be a part of what we're doing? Like, and I'm not saying like, why do they have to think the same way that we think about how, how, like what gender roles look like in the life of any church? Like, I know we have listeners that are on a spectrum of churches Mm -hmm. in terms of what position they call that shared ministry model. I, I know there's, I know there are faithful options out there. Why for us do we think we're not bashful about it and it's still worth talking about even though every time we do it, we get a little bit of shade? Why is it worth it? This is what I'm going to go before you guys. <laughs> I can say something somewhat meaningful. None of us, none of us have felt like this is the yeah. thing that God has asked us to speak about. Like if you were to mm-hmm. say, JT, what do you feel like is faithfulness for you? It's discipleship in the life of the local church, allowing people to re-envision what it means to be a theologian and not academically, but ecclesially. Kyle, I don't want to speak for you, but I think you'd say broadly, I feel like God's called me to kind of help Christians think about the nexus between culture and theology, public witness. And I mean, you do that so faithfully, Jen, Bible literacy, obviously. So like the, the three of us don't come to this topic reluctantly, but we've come to this topic kind of um, experientially, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like none of us set out to say, you know what we want to speak to? It kind of just became something that that mm-hmm. that that happened, I think, in, in our lives and in the context of the church that we were serving in. And that is mm-hmm. what makes it essential for us. Is like, it wasn't that we set out to do this. Mm-hmm. It's something that God did in our lives, which means it's now part of our stories, both in an embodied sense, in a spiritual sense, but in a theological sense. Like God mm-hmm. did... Like, think about those times that the three of us were in those rooms mm-hmm. teasing these ideas out. It would now be a lack of fidelity for yeah. us to not speak to the things that we've learned from each other in 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 conference rooms or in offices or on phone calls or in text threads mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. God did it in our lives. Yeah, I think uh, I think about right. uh, on the on the testimony of two or three as a matter established and. Um, there just are not a lot of people bearing witness to the beauty of this. And here are two or three who are going to bear witness to it as well as we're able because we see it in the Mm -hmm. scriptures and we have lived it. And so they're just, I can understand why there aren't a lot of people who, who um, will talk about this. Uh, I can't understand. It doesn't feel great when someone starts name calling you because you took on a topic that was a little bit prickly for some. But we were not trying to stir a pot. We're just trying to say, hey, this is beautiful. And it's good for the church. And it's mm-hmm. better. It's better than, 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 it's not. No, you said, you said, JT, to me one time, I, you know, when I was saying, oh, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I've, you know, ruined the, the, the male vibe in the room that used to be all men and now there's a woman in there and we were talking about a, le- a particular leadership space. And and you said, no, we don't just have you in there because we think it's good. We have you in there because we think it's absolutely necessary and that it's better for you to be in there than it was when you weren't. Right. And um, I think I didn't, I needed some courage mm-hmm. to believe that because I didn't feel it in the moment. And I do think it is good uh, that uh, what a lot of people experience now may feel good. You know, uh, I have, I have deep friendships with my, with my same sex ministry partners or whatever it is. And, and that's enough for me. Uh, and so I think one of the things that the three of us want to, to do is just say, yeah, but what if there's something better that, that you haven't considered that the Bible actually talks about mm-hmm. a lot? So, um, 
that's where I am on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good. You know what's interesting? I did this before we got on today. I look at the top mm-hmm. 100 podcasts in religion and spirituality <laughs> in the year of our Lord 2023. And if you rule out podcasts that are led by a married couple, and this is in the okay. religion and spirituality, so far broader than Christianity. If you look at the top 100 podcasts in religion and spirituality, and you rule out those led by a, a, a married co-host team, there are today two podcasts in the top 100 in religion and spirituality that have men and women engaging in serious matters together. What? And we're one of those. Right. Oh. Well, I mean, we're, we're usually up there in the top 100. I'm not totally surprised by that. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not a big I love that you were like, what? We're made the, the top 100? Here. And to me, is the other to one, me, what's the other one? The other one is not one of ours, and I don't know it well enough to recommend it, so I don't want to say it. I was going to say Family Discipleship probably is Mm -hmm. getting close, because that's another example. I know that there's a married couple on there. Family Discipleship, Confronting Christianity. Um, I don't say that to brag on us. I just, I say that to say we're at a a place where even in 2023, in the broadest cultural estimation of religion and spirituality, Christian or non-Christian, it seems like for all of our pomp and circumstance around men and women and how much we talk about it, there is still a real dearth of serious conversations happening between men and women on serious matters. And I just think that's at some point it becomes negligent. And I think that when I think about why we keep talking about this, I am always so encouraged when I hear from our listeners who are going, we just started a group at our church of men and women, and we are studying the Bible together, or we are studying doctrine together, mm-hmm. or we, we listen to the show and we talk about it, or we do this. And I'm like, man, that's incredible. Like, it can happen. This is something that can be replicated, and it should be replicated in holy, humble, wise, and righteous ways. And that is the way of Jesus. That's how he does this. That's mm-hmm. how Paul does this. It's how we can do it. And I really think, like, we're <laughs> not going to stop talking about this implicitly or explicitly. And we're certainly not going to stop practicing it because it's more than a partnership for a podcast. It's an actual reality we share as brothers and sisters in Christ and a friendship. It's not for show. It's not performative. And we are glad that you have a little window into what anyone in Christ can have, but it's not somehow special to us. There isn't some special sauce here that isn't present everywhere where the Spirit indwells Christians in Christ. It's there. That's the special sauce. So, I mean, we, we love each other, pro- probably. <laughs> probably? <laughs> There we go. That could be our standard. Best sign way off. that we I can probably pos- love you. I probably love you too. I, prob- <laughs> I probably, probably love you. Probably and friends. listen, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you, JT. Um, that was that hey, was just for our brothers perfect. and sisters. We can't do that, right? <laughs> There's no doubt. Do you remember There's Kyle? No doubt. Do you remember how like the- JT was always super into the practical jokes, and I was like, I do not understand. I hate practical jokes. Why does he do that? And Kyle goes, He does that because he never had a sibling to punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do now. 
It's true. It's true. I probably do. But uh, unfortunately, we are yeah. we're states apart. But mm-hmm. a punch is coming. Probably. I can promise. Well, listen. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. Drop your question in there. We'll take it into consideration for a future Q and A episode. If you want to find out more behind the scenes stuff, you can go to trainthechurch.com/support. Hey, check out our sister shows. The Family Discipleship Podcast has on some incredible guest this season, and you would be doing yourself a favor. If you have kids, if you want to have kids in the future, if you work with kids in any capacity, the Family Discipleship Podcast is a tremendous resource, and the guests they have on this season are lights out. In our next episode, we're going to be chatting about the doctrine of union with Christ. Let's go. Hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and peace.